Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Fox Talk Live podcast. My name is Logan Rosengard. With me on the call, as always, we've got Robbie Serafian and we got Noah Foster. Another fine Thursday here in the Fox Talk Live conference call. It's Thursday. Another week has passed. More, more stuff to talk about. But, Rafi, Noah, how are you guys doing on this fine day? Well, for once, we're recording earlier in the day, which feels strange instead of at, you know, eight or nine at night. But we found a time that works for our busy schedules. So I'm glad we're here for another week and talking about hockey for another week. Yeah, early morning hockey talks over, 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 greater than late night hockey talks. I'm actually awake and I don't got to worry about like being crunched for time to get anywhere like a basketball game or anything. It's perfect. Got all the time in the world if I wanted it. Falafel, Mr. Serafi, Rafi with two Fs. How are you today? Yeah, I'm doing well, honestly. Waking up early in the morning is always a struggle with people like me. I mean, I had to wake up at my usual six in the morning. You guys just can't match that level of being the early bird. I'm doing very well, but I want to start off with a bit of an off-script question for you guys. So I want you guys to imagine right now that you guys are Colorado Avalanche fans. You guys okay. are, you go into the season, you just trade for Brandon Saad, you're goaltending, you're not too worried about it. Things look good right now. You think you're going to be a top team. You're going to, you think you're one of the top teams with Vegas in that division. But now you're sitting at 25 points tied for third in the division. No one's really showing up. No one's showing out. Nathan McKinnon isn't. Nathan McKinnon from last year, still great. The depth isn't really showing up. The defense is overall minus. How are you feeling right now if you're a Colorado Avalanche fan? We're in a playoff spot, and that's exactly where we wanted to be. Like, the it's the Western Division, right? They aren't a great division. They have the Wild below them, which they're a competitive team. They're not the best. They're not the worst. They're a very competitive team. And then below the Wild, you have the Coyotes who, frankly, aren't a playoff team. They haven't proven to be a playoff team this year, and I don't think they're going to be a playoff team when the dust settles at the end of April, beginning of May. They're going to be in the playoffs. They have a good enough roster. If I'm a Colorado Avalanche fan, I am not worried at all, right? Because you're really competing for second place. You're really competing for second place because the Golden Knights and the Blues and the Avalanche are the top three teams in that division. Third place... It's gonna be one. Of, it's gonna be one of those three teams. I think is gonna be in third place. Fourth place is gonna be one of those wild card teams. A wild, the Coyotes or the Kings. The the Avalanche are fine. I I would not be worried in the slightest. Philip Grubauer is playing the game that he needs to play. The forwards are coming up when they need to come up. They're not as elite as they were. They're definitely not the 112 point team they were. I think a season or two ago. But they're still a good team. They're still a playoff team. They're gonna make noise. They're fine. I, I would not be worried as a Colorado Avalanche fan. And that's what the trade deadline's for, right? If they're a playoff team, but they want to try and push for a little more to try and get a top, more favorable seed in the division and face a more favorable opponent come May, then that's what the trade deadline's for, right? You bring in someone. You, you, you swap out guys that you think are going to make an impact that's going to propel you to the next level of your game. I'm not worried at all. I think that's fair. Like, the Avalanche are sitting in a playoff spot right now. They're sitting in third. But 
that does not mean that I'm not worried as a Colorado, as a hypothetical Colorado Avalanche fan. Because I looked at this team coming in the season, and I looked and said, and I said to myself, we have my goaltending. We have one of the best teams that I've seen in a while, right? We've got great depth, incredible scoring, incredible defenseman. Kale McCarr is unbelievable in the, in in the talks for the Norris Trophy in his second season in the league. Well, second, you know, real season in the league, um, which is pretty ridiculous, right? But you're sitting in third place right now. And with 25 points, which is not really close to the top. I think as an Avalanche fan right now, you're hoping they were, they pull a reverse Buffalo where they're awful in the beat. Well, quote unquote, awful for the Avalanche standards in the beginning of the season, and then completely turn it around and are on fire the rest of the season. I, I don't understand why we're holding them to this high, high standard of they need to be first place in the division or they're dead in the water. I don't think they're like dead I, in the water. I, I don't know, but that's, I don't the think they're dead in the water. I'm not the saying they're dead in the water, but, it, but I, I the, don't know. The way like, I formed I, the question was you look at them and they're still obviously in a playoff spot, but if you look at the underlying holes in this team, I, I'm going to speak about Ryan Graves. So I'll get into him in a bit as one of, in our larger segment, but you have Kadri who's definitely not producing very well. That's your second line center. Brandon Saad's been playing all right. He put up like six goals in his first like seven games. He's kind of cooled off. And then you have Nishkushkin, the advanced stat god, only having like, two, I believe it was two points this season. JT Comfer, who's coming off, I believe, like 30, 40 points. He's now at, I think he has two goals and two assists so far this season. So the form of the question was like, you look at their players and a lot of their guys are underperforming. So it's something where I agree, Logan, you can fix that at the trade deadline, but it's also something where you need a complete team and everyone to be firing on all cylinders come playoff time. And I think there's obviously still time, but I wanted to hear your thoughts about that too. That's what I was saying. Like, they're definitely not dead in the water. Like, they're definitely still a very competitive team and a very good team. But if I'm an Avalanche fan, I'm looking at my thoughts going into the season and where they are now and they're not meeting my expectations, right? And Granted, yeah, but, it's about, but is that you know, like, a bad thing? Like, I don't understand why it's such a bad thing that they aren't, you know, meeting that top in the division, top in the league expectations when they're in the playoffs. And let me remind you what kind of season we're in the middle of. We're in the middle of one of the weirdest, wackiest, most unprecedented sports seasons, NHL seasons in the league's history. Probably since like World War One. I don't understand why we're so. Uh, what what not. It's a great question, Rafi. I'm not bashing the question because it's a pretty good thing to think about, right? Everyone had Colorado as a top-in-the-league team. And not that they're not a top-in-the-league team because they have the competitive edge to do that. But the fact that I, I, I don't know Colorado Avalanche Twitter. I don't talk to Colorado Avalanche fans as much as I do other fans of the league. I, I, if fans are really freaking out about them being in the playoffs but not first in the division by a mile— that is the dumbest thing, right? They still have, like, some of the best forwards in the league with Nathan Gabriel Landeskog, Miko Rantanen. They got a great bottom nine below them to, to compliment, right? Brandon Saad bringing in was actually a pretty good move. I, I don't get this. I, I don't understand this narrative that's being ensued that the Avalanche are underperforming. They are performing. 
with, you know, on par with the league's most competitive teams, right? You look at the, uh, let's look at the Central Division where the Tampa Bay Lightning are. Sure, it's a much more competitive division than the Western Division is. And sure, they do have like seven more points on them or three or four more games to their resume. But the Avalanche are still kind of fresh off of that quarantine period that they had to go under, that, that two weeks where they weren't playing. They are fine. Like, I I don't know. I, I think I think it's just a dumb thing to worry about that. The Avalanche are falling below expectations when they're going to be probably top two in, you know, in the top fifth of the league, top five in the league come the end of the season before the playoffs. I don't know. Just That's just me. I, th- I think, I don't know. That's my thought. That, that's my two cents. I think if you're an Avalanche fan, you're looking at um, preseason expectations and you're looking at where they are now and you're saying, well, this is not what I expected. But um, they did have, looking to right, that they did have that two-week stretch where they weren't playing any games. They have played less games than some of the other top teams uh, in the league. And they're sitting at third in the playoff spot. So, well, because I picked them to win the Cup. So while I'm a little bit um, surprised that they're not at the top of the Western Division right now, Vegas is also playing better than I expected, but that's a different story. Um, the um, it's, it is such a weird season where, you know, Avalanche could easily go on an eight game win streak, like very easily. If they get lucky with scheduling and somehow play, you know, the ducks, the coyotes and the, uh, sharks, you know, all in the span of two weeks, then that's, that could easily be six wins right there or, you know, take 10 or 11 points out of that. So it's very easy for them to bounce back. So while I'm not worried about their overall place in the league, uh, it's just kind of interesting. I like the question, Rafi. It's kind of interesting to be like, well, they're not exactly where we expect them to be, but here's kind of why. Yeah, and just another thing to throw in until we move into our bigger segment, the fact that the Colorado Avalanche, I believe 15 out of their next 18 games are at home, although those aren't, they're, they don't have fans, it's still playing on your home ice, playing in your own facilities. So likely they'll turn around, especially when you're in a division with the three California teams, even if the Kings look pretty good this year. Let's take a look at this season's, if we're going to be on the topic of underperformance and, you know, underwhelming seasons, let's talk today about players that the three of us think are underperforming. And I'm going to preface this because some of the players on our lists, we have two players each. Some of the players on our lists aren't bad players, right? I'm not saying that the players that we have are terrible players and that they're not going to reach their peak. Hell, they might do that. They might do that towards the the next stretch of the season, right? We'll get into it. But these are players as of the twenty to twenty five ish game range that aren't performing nearly as close as where everyone wants, needs, and expected them to play. Let's look over at Noah. You've got two guys. I want to touch on Matt Duchesne first. We've ripped into him a bunch already. He's kind of like our least favorite star player for lack of a better term I think we we love talking about how he hasn't reached that 60 70 point peak that he's been expected to be at every season 
for a while. So Noah, what, what, what besides that obvious note, what makes him one of the most disappointing players for you so far this season? Well, you mentioned it that we talked about how Nashville as a whole is generally disappointing this season, but Matt Duchesne has really stuck out as like the guy that's really not doing his part. He's got eight points in 22 games. That's not good. Even last season, he only had 29 and 66. Or, uh, excuse me. Sorry, I was looking at this. He, okay, he had 42 and 66 last season, which is not great, right? He can be a 60-point player. In 66 games, maybe not. But in a normal season, he could be a 60-point player. Um, but eight goals or eight points in 22 games is not good. And he's a minus 13. And I don't like looking at pluses and minuses unless they're really extreme. Minus 13 is pretty extreme. Um, he's His ice time has slowly been decreasing. He's only sitting at about like 16, 17 minutes per game-ish. Um, that's not great either. He's not getting a lot of ice time. He's not producing a lot. Um, he's And he's only 30, right? And he's expected to be, you know, Nash, one of Nashville's leading point getters, one of Nashville's leading scorers. And he is currently fifth on their list or tied for fifth with eight points. Um, that's not ideal. And he only has three goals. So it's, it's a question of, it's kind of a question of, well, how bad is the team around him and, or how bad is Matt Duchesne? Right. But I think, even on Nashville, who has been underperforming a lot this year, I think Matt Duchesne is much better than this. And maybe it's just a factor of, you know, he's on a bad team, he loses motivation, blah, 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 whatever. Or that he just doesn't have any help. But I think Matt Duchesne is better than eight points in 22 games. And that he's severely underperforming. And maybe he'll bounce back next year. But this year, it doesn't look like he's on any track to bounce back. So he'll probably end the season with like, I don't know, 25, 30 ish points. If he continues on this pace, which is really bad. And that's a, it'll end with half the amount of points he did last year in 10 less games. That's yeah. And he has, a severe yeah, drop. And he off. hasn't been, he hasn't been known though, as a very positive plus minus player, his career, he's a minus one Oh three right now. Granted, some of those seasons were spent with the 48-point Colorado Avalanche. But, yeah, you can't hit it on that there. I mean, he was brought in. He, I, I feel like that's the problem with Nashville, though. It's always, oh, we're one player away. This player needs help. Let's bring him in so we can help him. Oh, wait, now this the, player. The thing is, they're we not bring one another player guy away. I know, but they keep thinking that they just need one guy to help them. They, were, they kept searching for one center. First line center. They brought in Ryan Johansson. They're like, oh wait, no, we need to bring another guy. They brought in Ryan Matt Duchesne, and it's just not working. I mean, the, I'm just gonna highlight exactly what we've been highlighting time we talk about Matt Duchesne. You look at his 2018-19 season where he split between, between Ottawa and Columbus. And Ottawa, which that was their season that they had like abysmally terrible season. Like it was a I'm pretty sure they were the bottom team in the league the 2018-19 season, if I remember correctly, or one of the bottom like five teams in the league. He had 58 points in 50 games for them and then went on to play to hit 12-23 and 23 for a 70-point campaign over 73. You 
season before he put up 59 and 82. That's still pretty dang good. Two seasons before that in 2015-16, he's putting up another 59. He's a somewhere between a 50 and a 70-point player. And the last two seasons, maybe it's Nashville, right? Maybe it really is Nashville, and he does not have the proper pieces around him to be that offensively elite. But I don't know if Ottawa did in 2018-19. I don't think they did at all. I not, not to harp on what we talked about last week with Nashville, but at what point does it become the player and the team? At what point does the player not have the pieces around him? And at what point does it become the team itself sucks? And you look at Connor McDavid, where he was in Edmonton before they kind of had this competitive edge the last two and a half, three seasons, and he was still putting up fantastic numbers. He, was, he Him and Leon Dreisaitl were killing it. Right. Okay. Well, I, I, that's you're comparing well, the best hockey player in the world. To I know Matt I'm Duchesne. comparing the best. I mean, I'm not. So, so you're telling me that they aren't comparable in the sense that they are their teams supposed to be their teams' elite scorers on mediocre to terrible teams, and one of them isn't performing, and the other one, who Connor McDavid had arguably worse assets around him, was still putting up freakishly good numbers. At what point does it become Matt Duchesne just isn't the player he was? Two seasons ago, even. I think he can bounce back. I think we all agree he can bounce back. He de- definitely not the player he needs or should be. And I agree with you on that, Noah. Rafi, you have kind of an interesting... Uh, two interesting guys. I'll, I'll, let's look at someone that's a little more obvious. P.K. Subban. I, I don't know if... I personally would call him disappointing just based on the style of play that he's been kind of transferred to on the blue line with this New Jersey Devil system that he's currently under. But Rafi, what do you think? Well, why do you think he's the one of the most disappointing players this, this season? Yeah, originally I wanted to do with Ryan Graves, as I mentioned earlier, from going from a plus 44 to a minus one, I believe, this season. So he dropped off plus-minus-wise by 40 so far. But yeah, I wanted to go P.K. Subban just for the fact that I think everyone kind of expected him kind of to bounce back a bit, and he kind of has, but he's still not what he used to be. He's still a bit of a He's not the offensively so. elite defenseman he was when he won the Norris, by any means. Yeah, and the thing is, though, like some players regress and some players go and burst out at different times. Nathan McKinnon, Blake Bloomer, one of the top three players in the league. P.K. Subban, I feel like now it started to hit a decline. I kind of was betting on him to have possibly like a 40, be on pace for like 40, 50 points. It doesn't really look like that's going to happen. So it's a bit disappointing to see that. But I mean, I guess he's just regressing then. I, I thought he would start to go up back again, slowly, especially in a contract year, in my opinion. I don't know. I, I still think he's, I wouldn't call him disappointing. I th- This is just me. I think he recognizes, or maybe the coaching staff recognizes that he is not, he's not a 60-point defender anymore. He is not the Norris-winning guy who put up 38-42 and 42 the 2012-2013 season in 42 games, right? He is not that anymore. I, I that's an obvious, very legitimate critique of his game. 
However, however, eight points in 18 games, and you look at the cut, he's still, you know, being relied upon. He's still getting 22 minutes. You know, he's still taking offensive liberties, but I think he's transitioned from this elite scoring guy who can get back and be kind of okay on defense. He's kind of forced himself to be this more of a two-way defender, an effective two-way defender at that. I I think he's actually playing a much better game than he was last season. He's actually contributing positively to the devil's blue line than compared to what he was doing last season, which was a net negative. That that's just me though. I I wouldn't call him disappointing, but I do see what you're saying. I'm gonna back Rafi on that. I think both of you guys are right in the fact that while PK Subban is, you know, transitioning to a better role and that makes him look worse on the score sheet, I still think he's, um, I think it's still fair to call him disappointing in the fact that he has still, he still um had such a major major drop off from even where he was in. 2018, the 2018-19 season. Like, the 2019-20 season was miserably bad for him, right? His first year with the Devils. The Devils also sucked, but that's a different story. Devils are competitive now-ish. Uh, they're not winning the division, but they're pretty competitive. Um, but Subban is still not kind of grown at the same pace the team has, right? And he's still not ideal on the back end. He never really was, but he still hasn't gotten much better. His offense has declined, so I still think it's pretty fair to call him disappointing, even though his role on the team may have changed. And yes, he's getting older, but I still think it's um, I think it's reasonable to call him disappointing. I, I think we all hit it pretty well on the head with that. Like he, it's I think. For me, the disappointing factor is more so that he hasn't shown that he can still be that 60-point defender that he used to be and still very well could be. He's 31, right? NHL defenders have very long careers, especially when they're as good as P.K. Subban can and was and will be. But I think, to me, it's just disappointing that he hasn't proven that he can be that 60-point, even a 40-point defender anymore. But let's transition into one of my most disappointing players, Jack Eichel. Now, I know what you're thinking. Logan, whoa, 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 whoa. He was on like a 90-point pace last season. Yes, he was. He was in contention for the Rocket Richard Trophy. Yes, he was. He's one of the best players in the league right now. Yes, he was. Is. Yes, he is. He's arguably the best player in Buffalo, despite the fact that Buffalo is not a great team. And I would agree with that. But if we're talking about disappointing, you're going from... A 78.68 game season to where you're barely performing under a point per game with two goals and 13 assists when you're supposed to be an elite goal scorer that can hit 30 goals with ease in a full season. That's disappointing. There's nothing else I could say about that, right? He's still a great player. He's still Buffalo's best player. I'm not saying he isn't. What I am going to say is this is not his best season. This is not going to be his best season. This is going to be his most disappointing season, obviously. That's why we're talking about it. But when you're touted for your goal-scoring abilities and your elite point-getting abilities, and you have 15 points in 18 games, barely under a point per game, and you have 13 assists, that's pretty good. 
That's playmaking numbers. I'm not going to bash that. What I'm saying, he is not at that level that he needs to be, where he should be where he was every season before this. And it's not a great outcome. I, I think if he was playing the game that he was playing last year, where he got 78 and 68, I think Buffalo would be in a better position right now. I think if he was playing much better than he is, Buffalo would be in a better position. But he's not, and they're not. And I'm not putting it all on him, but it's a large part. If your top guy isn't going, then the rest of your team isn't going. He's not even the the, the team's lead scorer. It's like, I don't think it's Tobias Ryder. I forget who it is. I think it's... Uh, it's oh, for, points, or for points right now, it's Olofsson. Yeah, Olofsson you expect, but goals? You'd expect Jack Eichel. Sam Reinhart, Curtis Lazar, and Victor Olofsson. Not in that order. Are the top three in goals, which is a weird number. Those are weird names to hear. Sam Reinhart, great secondary player. I love him. He is not supposed to be on like Jack Jack Eichel's level of goal scoring ability, and he's shown better. It's a disappointing plan and symbol. Jack Eichel, not the player he was last season, and it's disappointing to see because, I'm, like I said, I'm not putting the team's lack of success on him, but I'm going to say when your top guy isn't performing to that elite ability, then the guys around him definitely aren't performing to the, at that elite ability. And it shows with this team for sure. I genuinely think that Eichel is underperforming, yes. But it's also a vicious cycle because his team absolutely sucks around him, right? So he then let produce. me, let me, I'm going to, I'm going to bring this up again. And you can actually make a comparable between Jack Eichel and Connor McDavid. There's like a legit comparable. Yeah. Yeah. Then you see Connor McDavid where he was popping off with a terrible, arguably a worse Edmonton team. Oh, definitely and worse. You see Brady Kachuk performing fantastic with an arguably worse Ottawa Senators team. And you look back at my Matt Duchesne argument. At what point is it the team around him or the player? And I think this season it's the player and a little bit of the team around him. But Eichel was still able to perform last season with a pretty similar team and a pretty similar makeup under the same coaching system, 78 and 68. And he's nowhere near that this season. It's, it, I, I think it's more Eichel than the team around him this season. Sure. I, I, I can, pers- I can I see it's more think, Eichel. Yeah, ahead, but I also think that it's some curse in Buffalo where they bring in a guy and he just instantly falls off. And I, I really wouldn't be shocked if this summer we actually do see a Jack Eichel trade. He doesn't have a no movement clause, no trade clause. He has nothing, which is kind of shocking. But I think if he keeps this up, Buffalo is going to be like, now, I don't know what's going on in that locker room, but all this buzz about what's going on with him, what's going on with the ownership, management. I mean, some of that's got to be in the locker room. And I don't think it's a positive thing that the players are rallying around. I think this is definitely something that could possibly be hurting them even more, especially Jack Eichel. But yes, he has been disappointing this season. Noah, let's go back to one of your guys, your other most disappointing player. Let's touch on Thomas Grice. And I actually would very much agree with this. Thomas Grice was a fantastic backup goalie to Semyon Varlamov in New York last season. And you can't really follow up being a fantastic backup to Robin Lehner the season before in the 18-19 Vesna campaign season for him. 
and then, you know, have the season you did last season with New York where you went to the Eastern Conference Final. And then play how you're playing in Detroit. I could be wrong. I don't think he has a win yet in between the pipes, which isn't really his fault. But, but Noah, touch on him. What to you is the most disappointing factor of his game so far this season? You hit it. His backs right around the head. Incredible backup. He was, they, those two were in the running for the Jennings trophy, right? The best goalie doing in the league last season, this season. Yeah. Before. Least, least goals allowed. Mm-hmm. And he's, um, well, yes, he's on a bad team. Detroit sucks. Yes. But he went last season with the Islanders. He went 16, nine and four with a nine, 13 and a two, seven, four this season over 14 starts. Grace is one 11 and three with an eight, eight, five and a 3.37 goals allowed average with a negative nine goals saved above average. Does Detroit give up more chances than the league average? Yes. They have six. They're, they give up more high danger chances than the league average. Does Detroit suck? Yes. Does Thomas Grice suck? That's an interesting question that I wasn't expecting the answer that I asked myself. But does Thomas Grice suck? No. He's still a fine goalie. Does he, is he bad on Detroit for some reason? Yes. Is it all the team's fault? Absolutely not. I don't know what happened on the plane ride from New York to Detroit, but something must have happened where he is where he completely forgot how to play goaltender and is now one in 11. He has literally one win over 14 games. That's not, you cannot put 11 losses on your team. This isn't totally like out of Thomas Grice's ballpark of performances, right? That he has had his seasons where he performs in the eight, eight, you know, the eight, six to eight, eight range. Uh, for save percentage, and where he has given up three goals a game on average in the net. He ha- he has had, you know, one of those seasons, two of those seasons. But this is his worst season statistically ever. This is very much similar to what I was talking about with Jack Eichel. Compared to last season, you take a step down significantly. Like, I I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's disappointing to see, right? I thought Thomas Grice was totally going to be and I think he has two more seasons, maybe one more season left on his contract in Detroit that Steve Eiserman signed him to this offseason. And I think he can turn it around. And I think with, you know, Detroit's development, I think he will be able to turn it around with the team in front of him. I don't know if it, you know, that this is, it's not great. I thought he was going to com- make this team a competitive team. I thought his existence in Detroit's net was going to make them competitive, and it hasn't been that. So I'm going, like, very so. I think it's very disappointing to see. Kind of rough. Well, no, one more, no. one more Sorry. point. I Sorry. think it's it's kind of like the Matt Murray situation, where I said at the beginning of the season that Matt Murray would be, perform a lot better in Ottawa. Yikes. Um, but I think it's tough for a goalie. I mean, he was in New York for five years. He was a backup goalie, right? He was a backup goalie for five years when because of Orlamov at the starting job, or like he split time. I think it's hard to go from being a backup slash splitting time to an entirely new system in front of a much, or behind a much, much, much worse defense and play starting goaltender 
and perform well. However, does he is he supposed to be one eleven and three right now? No, he needs to be playing better. Yeah, one last comment too. I just want to point out too with this defense argument. Yes, the defense is worth worse, but we're all Chicago Blackhawks fans. We know that Jonathan Bernier has been insane, especially versus the Hawks. I mean, he's six four in no overtime losses, nine thirteen two eight four goals on average. Yes, has he been left out to dry on numerous occasions and had to make some amazing saves? Oh, 100%. The Blackhawks outchanced them a few nights ago when they lost, when they beat Chicago, actually. It was like 48-16 to 16 scoring chances for the Hawks. But you look at his numbers and you look at Grace's numbers, and yeah, no, you, t- you talked about the system. I think the system's definitely something that a lot of players who are free agents who signed last offseason have had to overcome and try to figure out because this offseason was so much different than offseason in the past for obvious reasons. Rafi, let's look at your goalie that you have disappointing. And again, very spot on with this critique. Carter Hart. Currently, between him and Brian Elliott, he is still getting the bulk of those starts. He's got 13 game starts to Brian Elliott's six. But you look at those 13 starts, and yes, it's larger, you know, he's still a pretty good goalie. I think he's still performing really okay. Like, I think he's fine for this season that we're all having and this season that Philadelphia is having. But with an 8-9-3 and a 3-4-9, not the best. Definitely underperforming compared to where he was even last season where you could make some kind of argument that he was a Vesna caliber candidate. And even the season yeah. before that, where he, you know, played really well in his rookie season. So Rafi, what to use the deal breaker with this? Like I know, you know, he, he him and Thomas Grice are kind of on the same plane in, in this argument of disappointing seasons, but what specifically stands out most to you that you wanted to highlight Carter Hart? Well, I think that, well, obviously, his goal save above average is minus six, basically minus six. So that just kind of puts in perspective how off he's been this season. And I saw a highlight from a few days ago versus Pittsburgh where Carter Hart thought he was supposed to get pulled out of the net. He starts heading over to the net, but no one told him to leave the net with four minutes left in the game when they're down versus Pittsburgh. And Pittsburgh had an easy cash in empty net because of that miscommunication. That kind of summed up his season so far. I don't think it's on him as much as it is on the defense. I think losing Matt Niskanen to retirement, to a sudden retirement, definitely hurt them. I don't think they were able to recoup a player in free agency by the time he announced his retirement. I don't think they were planning on him retiring. So I think that kind of threw him off as he was their shutdown guy. My short-term solution for this is trade for Matthias Ekholm. Trade a first, trade whatever you need to to get him. He's a great shutdown guy. He can provide some offense. And I think if you add him to the team, they should be Carter Hart's numbers will improve as well. Because he's going to improve. This is just a bad season. Everyone has bad seasons. As slogan you've mentioned so many times. Goalies are pretty And Philly's a playoff team too, right? This is I think we agreed at the beginning of the season, and I think we can agree now this is a playoff team. So for you know, for Carter Hart to not bounce back in some respect would be terribly surprising. 
be such a shock. Yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, he's only twenty-two as well, so there's. I don't think there's any signs of him regressing at the moment. But yeah, so that that's Carter Hart then, and let's see. So Logan, Dylan Larkin, yes. captain, Dylan Larkin announced captain of the Detroit Red Wings a few this weeks back. This is very similar. Yep. To me, the reason I think Dylan Larkin is having a very disappointing, one of the most disappointing seasons compared to other players in the league, he's on a 43, 42-point pace currently over a full 82-game season, or 41-point pace over a full 82-game season. I don't know if that's great. Like, in 71 games last season, he put up 53 points. That is a... If I can do my math, that is a 60, that's still a 60 point season over a full season. He is 20 points below that. I mean, this, this is just like one of those seasons for him. I, I, I think just like Matt Duchesne, I think just like Jack Eichel, this is one of those seasons for Dylan Larkin where it's going to be one to forget, right? This is going to be much like his sophomore slump season where he put up 32 and 80 coming off of a 45 and 80 in but sandwich between a 45 and a 63 point full season. This is just going to be one of those seasons for Larkin. And with the team that Detroit has and with the season they're having, that's fine. Like Dylan Larkin is still an elite player. He's still st- stupid fast. He still has fantastic offensive upside. He's 24. He was just, just announced captain as Rafi touched on. This kid's going to be fine. It's just disappointing to see, right? You think Dylan Larkin, he should be having at least a point per game, and maybe he will. Maybe he'll catch up at some point in the season. But right now, he's on a he, he's he's going to be like, I think thirty some odd points by the end of the season if this pace continues. That's not that's not the Dylan Larkin we know. That is not nearly the Dylan Larkin that we know. And it's twenty eight point pace. That is abysmal, right? Like he's scoring half a point per game, which is fine. But for an elite player like him, no, not should be, should not be where he's at. And he's still a great player. This isn't me bashing on him. This isn't me saying he's terrible. He's going to go down a down a hole and never going to come back. No, 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 no. I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole. No, he's still a fantastic player. He's going to have a fantastic career. He's going to have fantastic numbers for an eternity. But this season specifically, also considering that I thought that Detroit was going to be competitive in some regard. Terrible season. Like 28 points, disgust. Should not even be in his range. But it is. And disappointing. Like it's an underperforming season. And that's that's where I'm at with that. I think that, especially for Detroit, last point before we wrap it up, I think especially for Detroit, they got screwed. They are both having a bad season and got stuck with Tampa Bay and Carolina in the new realigned divisions. Right. So they kind of got screwed. But yeah, I think if this were a normal season, them being in the Atlantic division would probably help them a little bit. They'd probably be more like fifth, sixth in that division than seven, eight in this division, considering how competitive it is and considering how good the teams have been. I agree. But both Grace and Larkin are having really bad seasons, independent of how bad their team has been. But they'll be fine. I think just even next season, they'll be fine. They have a ton of cap space, so 
CBY has his plan. CBY. And in CBY, we trust, as always. Second smartest general manager in the league. Stand by number one. Yes, sir. That about wraps it up for this episode of the Puck Talk Live podcast. PTL 60. 60 episodes strong. We're coming up uh, this month, actually, on the one year to uh, the podcast, I'm fairly certain. Sometime, I think, at the end of March. Look out for stuff about that. Thank you guys so much for listening. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Puck Talk Live Podcast. Be sure to click the link in our bio to find all of our socials, all of the show platforms. Interact with us. Tell us what you want to see. We love talking hockey. As you know, that's why we have this podcast. We love doing it. Once again, my name is Logan Rosengard. We appreciate everything you guys do for the show, and we will see you guys next week. Take care.